you're a child of God tonight? Amen. That's good. Amen. Well, I shared something with the singles this morning, and uh, they, they didn't really understand it. They're too young to understand. Yeah, all that inexperience, you know. But it wasn't that long ago that an application was for employment. A program was a TV show. A cursor used profanity. I see some of you aren't uh, very experienced either, but a keyboard was a piano. Memory was something you lost with age. Some of you may remember this as well, but 
a CD was a bank account. Compress? That was something you did to garbage, not to a file. Some of you still don't know what I'm talking about, do you? <laughs> you hold on, you'll get it here. It's coming to a close. And if you unzipped anything in public, you'd be in jail for a while. Log on was adding wood to a fire. Hard drive, it was a long trip on the road. See, I know, we're gonna, you know, we'll, I might have to break this down and explain it. A mouse pad, that was where a mouse lived. And again, it wasn't that long ago that a backup happened to your commode. <laughs> Cut, you did it with a pocket knife. Paste, you did it with glue. Cut and paste. A web was a spider's home. And a virus... It was the flu. I guess I'll... Listen, I hear nobody's been killed in a computer crash. But when it happens, they wish they were dead. Wow. That was hurting. That was painful. That was pretty painful. Oh, boy. Let's take our Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. <clears throat> After that bad joke. I'm going to have to speak to you about contentment. It's a choice. Learn to be content with the good and the bad. <laughs> Philippians 4.11, here it is. <clears throat> Chapter 4, verse 11. The Apostle Paul, of course, is speaking, and we're just going to pull a verse out, and I just want to talk to you a little bit tonight about contentment. It's pretty important. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. The Apostle Paul said, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Let's pray. Father, we ask, Lord, you'd bless us in these next moments May you just speak to us through the Word of God. Help us, Lord, as believers to be content, to learn to be content in the world in which we live, a world that is ever-changing, a world that sometimes miserably falls short of our expectations, and yet, Lord, you tell us to be content in whatsoever state we are. Help us now, Lord, to do just that. Give us wisdom, insight, and understanding. Fill me with your Holy Ghost, and Lord, may I be your mouthpiece tonight. May you speak to every heart, and Father, we're begging you to show up in a mighty way here in this place tonight. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The story is told about a pilot who always looked down intently on a certain valley in the Appalachians when uh, the plane would uh, pass overhead. And one day, his co-pilot, he asked him a question. He said, what's so interesting about that spot? 
It's come you always look down right at that moment and right down there in that particular valley in the Appalachians. And the pilot said, well, see that stream? When I was a kid, I used to sit down there on a log and fish. And every time an airplane flew over, I'd look up and wish I were flying. Now I look down and wish I were fishing. Can I tell you that contentment is a very rare commodity indeed? It's hard to find people that are truly content with their life or where they're at in life. Contentment, according to our writer, however, is not a state of being. Matter of fact, it's more a state of mind. When we think about contentment, I have this real brief definition. I think we could put it this way, wanting only what God wants for you. Wanting only what God wants for you. I think that's a good definition of contentment. Because if we want anything more than what God wants for us, we will not find contentment. So I want to share with you just a couple of thoughts tonight about contentment. Number one, being content is not a place. It's not a place. You know, in our culture, too many people believe that contentment comes by attaining material possessions or uh, positions of power. They're convinced that their circumstances or their situation are the key to contentment. I mean, if you're tempted to believe that, then you need to remember the words of John D. Rockefeller, who, when a journalist asked him how much wealth was enough, the millionaire, who was at the time one of the richest, most powerful men in the world, said this, just a little more. Just a little more, that's, that's what we really need. And you know what? Contentment is something that is very difficult to come by if indeed we're looking for it in a place. It's not reaching some goal or achievement. It's not obtaining some position or place of prominence. It's not enjoying a level of financial freedom or status. That is not what contentment is, at least biblical contentment. We may find a sense of, of satisfaction in those areas, but we will never find true contentment in those things alone. A man once saw a bald eagle soaring in, the, in circles, just, just up in the sky, soaring in circles. And the circle, and that circle began to kind of tighten down little by little. And he watched as he, he saw this little weasel on the ground there. And here comes this eagle. And suddenly the eagle dropped out of the sky like a jet and caught the weasel in its talons. Amazingly, as the eagle began to fly away, the weasel began to eat away at the breast of that eagle, though. The man watched as the weasel tore away at the eagle, snapped some bones, chewed some flesh. He watched the eagle fold up and crash, and the weasel went on his way. See, getting what you want doesn't always work out the way you think it will. And that's something that we as believers have to keep in mind always because the world says if you just obtain this, if you just arrive at this place, if you just get this or that, you'll be content, you'll be happy. But getting what you always want doesn't get you where you really want to be sometimes. Getting something that we believe will make us happy is not necessarily going to produce contentment. How many a fellow has reached out and won the heart or the affection of a woman only to find that that wasn't what brought him contentment. 
He thought it would and he believed it would, but can I tell you that contentment is not a state of being, it's more a state of mind. In a sense, contentment is a choice. You choose to be content with the spouse that God has given you. You choose to be content with the car you drive. You choose to be content, and I choose to be content with the house we live in. It is a choice. If only I had a better car, if only I had a nicer home, if only my wife was better looking, if only my husband was more attentive to me, if only, if only, if only, that is not necessarily where contentment is found, friends. Again, if contentment were simply a place, the Apostle Paul would have miserably failed at contentment. Turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's begin in verse 23. Again, he's going to kind of give us a summary of his career, if you will, at least at one point in his career, one point in his ministry. Gives us some insight into some of the obstacles that he faced as a preacher, as a missionary, as a man of God. Notice what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. And keep in mind, again, that the Apostle Paul is writing Philippians 4 when he says, Not that I speak in respect of one, for I have learned, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Watch now. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three, 23, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in death oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils often, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watching often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without. That which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. The Apostle Paul is giving us a little insight into his life. Oh, it's easy for you, Apostle Paul. You're a big name preacher. You go to all those churches and, man, they all bow down to you and worship you when you go in there and stand up and preach your doctrine. Let me tell you something. The Apostle Paul knew something of heartache. He knew something of trial and tribulation. He knew what it was to have his life on the line at any given time. And yet he said... Not that I speak in respect of one, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Whether that state was in labors more abundant, in stripes of more measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft, he says, I have learned to be content. See, contentment is not a state of being, it is a state of mind. Being content is not a place, but we also learn that what, content, what contentment really is, contentment, being content is a process. It's a process. Again, the Apostle Paul made it clear. He said, for I have learned. 
Well, I can guarantee you he didn't just sit in a classroom one day as a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old or maybe even in a college course. He didn't sit one week or one day or, or one hour in a class and hear somebody say, by the way, be content. You know, I learned that. That's not how it worked for him. And that's not how it works for us. The preacher stands up and says, the Bible says we must be content. And you go, okay. Doesn't work that way, does it? We hear it and we want to believe it and we say the Word of God says so, but really to actually enjoy contentment, to possess contentment, demands some life. It demands some learning. F.B. Meyer said about contentment, F.B. Meyer was a great preacher. He said, if we would find contentment, let us go to homes where women are crippled with rheumatism or dying of cancer, where comforts are few, where long hours of loneliness are not broken by the intrusion of friendly faces, where the pitiance of public charity hardly suffices for necessary need. To say nothing of comfort, it is there that contentment reveals itself like a shy flower. How often in the homes of the wealthy one has missed it, to find it in the homes of the poor. How often is it wanting where health is buoyant, to be discovered where disease is wearing out the strength. So it was with the apostle, who was in the saddest part of his career, bound to the Roman soldier, enclosed in some narrow apartment, in touch with only a few friends who made an effort to discover him, away from the happy scenes of earlier years and anticipating Nero's bar, he breaks out into these glorious expressions of equanimity. He had learned how to be abased in the valley of the shadows. He wore the flower heart cease in his buttonhole. Again, what the writer F.B. Meyer is trying to get us to understand in this particular case is that more often than not, contentment is not found when we are in a financial stability and strength. It's not found when our health is at its best. It's found when we are at the depths of despair. It's found most often where we would never believe that it would be found. It's found in turmoil and trouble and dis discouragement even at times. It's saying, listen, I know that God is alive and I know that God is well and I have learned that he has never leave me nor will he forsake me. I can trust my God and I can be content in whatsoever state I am for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. See, Hebrews 13, 5 says, let your conversation, and we should know this one, right? You that did the... Uh, 48 verses, and next Sunday night we're going to recognize those as well as those who read through the Bible in a year and then those that did both, and it's going to be a great night. It says, but in Hebrews 13, 5, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Well, how, how, what is it about contentment? What, what's the real foundation of contentment? What's the real uh, the basis of it all? His presence. His presence. That He is with us. Boy, there's going to be trouble in our lives. There's going to be trials that we face. But we will never face them alone. And that's something that we... His reality in our life must be there always. See, when we know God to be a certain kind of person... I mean, a person who will keep his word. 
a person who has a plan and a person who is working that plan, when we are convinced of the presence, the providence, and the power of God in our lives, despite the obstacles we face, then we will be capable of patiently enduring. When we know we can trust Him, most of the time our lack of contentment is because of a lack of relationship with God. And I know we don't see it that way. We would say, no, there's just things that I need and there's things that I want and I'm just not content or happy like this. But in reality, the Word of God makes it perfectly clear that contentment is not a state of being. It is more a state of mind. The fact is, is that when we acknowledge and recognize Christ for who he really is, and we have a confidence and faith in him to meet our needs and to give us exactly what we need in our lives, and we can trust him, then contentment, we're we're, we're on the verge of contentment now. Because see, being content is a process, but finally being content is a perspective. It's a prospective. You know, you say, what's your perspective, I should say? I spelled that wrong. I put prospective. It's perspective. I wish I could say that I spell better than I preach, but you and I both know that's not true. But nonetheless, being content is a perspective. Turn, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6. Let's begin in verse 6. First Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. The Bible says, and, and again, Paul the Apostle is writing to his protege or his son in the faith, Timothy, and he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. This is always one of my pet peeve verses when I read this. It's interesting to me. You ask somebody, you say, what is it that you, what are your absolute needs in life? You know what people say? Well, you need food, clothing, and shelter, they'll say. That's not what the Bible says. It's interesting, the Bible never says that. What the Bible says is, having food and raiment, let us, therewith be, let us be therewith content. That's interesting, isn't it? We put a lot of stock in our homes. You know, let's be honest, that's pretty big time, and I'm not opposed to it. Man, I'll tell you what, I, I'm a homeowner now, and that's a blessing after a number of years. Praise God for that. I love it. Well, kind of. <clears throat> But you know what? The truth is, is that that's not something that he says. uh, He said, man, if you just have food and you just have raiment, man, but I'm sleeping in this car out here. You still be content. That's what he says. Now, I'm not saying you should be, you know, you should have a a discontentment in a sense, uh, in one sense. I mean, a God, uh, you know, a holy dissatisfaction for not being where God wants you if you should, if you should have more. I mean, why would you just live in a car if you don't have to? I mean, it doesn't make sense, right? But if for some reason you had to, and you had food and raiment, according to this passage, we should still be able to say, you know what? I'm still content. If this is where God wants me, I'm all right with that. 
Now, that's how we ought to be. Now, whether we are or not, it's a whole other issue. And some people might say, well, I'd argue that with you. Well, go ahead and argue, but get in the Bible and show me where it's not, where it's different. I mean, I'm just saying that our standard of happiness or where we draw a line for contentment is often based on our own, des- our own design. It's based on our own idea or expectation. Well, if, if I have this and this and this, then I can be content. God says, if you got food and you got raiment, be content. I mean, you still, you're eating? You're eating and you got clothes on your back? Man, you got to be content. You're like, what? See, for the American, that's hard for us to understand. Now, we might be getting to a place in our, our world one day where we'll understand a little bit about third world countries and how they've been dealing for years because we may be living like that soon ourselves. But let me tell you this. We have no understanding of that right now. I mean, we go to the grocery store right now and something sold out and we're like, are you kidding me? This is stupid. What is going on? I mean, my favorite ice cream. I always buy the same kind and it's not even here now. Honey, did you get that extra pair of pants with the two sizes bigger? Because I've been filling it out a little bit. But man, I'm upset about that ice cream missing. You know what I'm talking about, though. I mean, we're, we're, our expectations are so high that sometimes we're not content. We're upset. We're angry constantly. I, I fall into that category. I find myself at times getting all bent out of shape about stupid stuff, and I think, what is wrong with me? Or my wife says that. I don't know which it is. But anyway, <laughs> contentment. It's a perspective. It's a perspective. Because we serve an omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God, we can be confident and sure that everything in our lives has crossed the desk of our Lord and has been stamped approved for our life. Man, I don't like that sometimes, you know? I don't, I don't appreciate some things that go on in lives. I don't like how God sometimes takes loved ones or family or friends. I'm not a real fan of how he does everything at times, but I have to stop and remember who's God. And so do you, and we got to ask ourselves, does he know what's best? Does he care about us? Does he love us? He says, casting all your care upon him, for he cared for you. Can I trust him to love me, to care for me, and to meet my needs? Of course we can. It's not always easy to face life and to deal with those issues, but contentment is something we choose based on the fact that we have the knowledge of a God who we know without a fact cares and that everything that comes, enters into our life has been stamped approved by Him. That's, a, that's hard to handle sometimes, but it is a reality of the Word of God. Every struggle and every trial, every sorrow and every tear Every tragedy that befalls us has been approved by God. And you know what the goal is for all of that, really, when it's all said and done? Do you know why God allows us to enter into that furnace of fire in order to be tempered? Because He wants us to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's really what He's trying to do. Romans chapter 8, turn there, would you? Romans 8, 29. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. 
writing to the church at Rome, the Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Notice, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his, his Son. He wants us to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's predetermined by God. He wants you to look like Jesus. He wants me to look like Jesus. He wants me to think like Jesus. He wants me to act like Jesus. He wants me and you both to, 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 to appear to be Christ-like in every aspect because Christ lives in us and we're to allow Christ to live through us. And you know what brings Christ out of us more than anything else usually? <laughs> Trials. That's sad. It's, it's a reality of life. Difficulty seems to mold us more than prosperity does. It has a tendency to temper us more than good times. And you know what? When we start thinking, you know, I'll be honest with you, if that's how it's going to be as a Christian, and, uh, you know, God's going to have to mold and temper and conform me to the image of His Son, and that process means potential heartache and sorrow, well, you know what? I pass. Well, the truth is that we're going to endure hardship and heartache whether we allow God to conform us or not, really. You say, what do you mean? Well, in Job chapter 5, verse 7, the Bible says, yet man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. Being a Christian isn't what causes you to have trouble. Everybody has troubles. That's just part of life. That's the way it is. So we may as well submit to it willingly and allow Him to perform His work of grace in our lives. The alternative to that is to simply endure the trial in this life, alone in a sense, or at least without God's grace and comfort. The alternative is to face those trials without purpose even. So what do we need to do? Well, we just had to cast our cares upon Him. Again, we already said the Bible says, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Cast your cares on Him. When something arises in your life that seems to be eating away at the contentment, say, listen, that's, I can't let that eat away at contentment. I have to make a choice, a conscious decision. I have learned to be content. I know my God is in the midst of it. I don't understand what's taking place or why, but I must trust God, and I can be contented, and I can say, Lord, thank you for whatever you're doing in my life. Thank you for molding and making me. Wow. And you only do that if you can cast your cares on him. I can only do that if I cast my cares on Him. And trust Him. <clears throat> You're just going to have to trust God. I'm going to have to trust God. We, we're, there's a number of people here tonight. It, it's, it's unrealistic to think we're all going to escape bad things. It's, 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 it's unrealistic. I mean, we've been guaranteed difficult times. We, if we're going to live godly, we're guaranteed persecution. So, I mean, difficult times are going to come, but we're going to have to trust Him with the situation. We have to trust Him with the hurt. Trust Him with those involved, even. Trust that He knows what He's doing. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, you know the verses. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
You gotta, we got to believe that he has a purpose in everything that transpires and takes place in our lives. That he's not allowing something in our life simply to hurt us. He doesn't take pleasure in watching us suffer. In Psalm 139, verse 17, the Bible says, the psalmist speaks and says, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them. In Jeremiah 29, 11, the, the prophet says, For I know the thoughts that I, think, that, that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an unexpected end. The prophet says, listen, here's what God's saying, and he us, wants us to understand that he has thoughts of peace and not of evil toward us. God doesn't take pleasure in seeing you groping in darkness or in difficulty. And so when it comes down to it, we got to learn to control our thoughts then. Because this is where the battle's fought. It's in the mind. Often the Bible talks about the heart of man, but the truth is it's talking about this. Right here. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. Contentment, according to our writer, is not a state of being. It's more a state of mind. Notice what 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says. <clears throat> For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, verse 3. Sorry, 2 Corinthians 10, 3. I might have said something backwards. I'm not sure, but it's 2 Corinthians 10, 3. For though we walk in the flesh... <clears throat> We do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. For the battle we face in this life, the battle of contentment, the battle of, of, of just uh, you know, seeing things God's way is really a battle in the mind. We choose to either allow our mind to wander or we choose to bring it into captivity. We choose to say we're going to bind up those thoughts and we're not going to allow them to rule and reign in our life or we're going to just turn them loose and let them control us. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Let me rein that in. That's an unscriptural thought. Let me bring it in. You know, God must not care too much about me. Uh-uh. Don't even go there. Bring it in. Rein it in. Bring it, bring it in. Don't let that one go. Don't let it begin to take root in your heart and your life. In Philippians 4.8, <clears throat> the Bible says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. And it's interesting. We learned the passage, didn't we, in Philippians 4.16. Sorry, I had to say that because that's what it was in that little program that Brother Josh gave us. It's actually 4-6. You know it, I know it, but I thought I'd be funny, but most of you did. You missed it. Okay, so anyway, all right, moving on. <clears throat> so Philippians 4-6, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds. I just messed it up now. Careful nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 
And the peace of God, hold on, he goes on to say in Philippians 4, 8 now. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. I think about that passage and I kind of think about these little statements. One, expect the best in everything, not the worst. (laughs) If we're going to be content, we have got to begin to expect the best in everything and not the worst. Well, I'm a realist. I see it the way it is. Maybe you better stop seeing it that way. Man, if you're not content, though, because of it, you got a problem. You're not even scriptural. You're not biblical. Paul said, listen, I've learned to be content. You know who suffers the most when you're not content? Everybody around you. So let's get content in whatsoever state we are. Let's learn to be content. Let's bring those thoughts into captivity. Let's ensure that we're not allowing ourselves to follow that road that leads to discontentment. Expect the best in everything, not the worst. Remain upbeat, even when you get beat up. See solutions in every problem, not problems with every solution. Believe in yourself, even when others believe you failed. If you are following the Lord, then you keep on following Him. Your family, your friends, and others that don't understand the Word of God may say, man, you are a mess. I can't believe the emphasis, the priority you place on God and His house and the things of God. Man, you are wasting your time. That's all right. I believe in the decisions I've made based on the Word of God. I'm good. Hold on to hope even when others say it's hopeless. Do you know that hope is the believer's possession? It's something we possess as believers. Turn, if you would, to 1 John 3, verse 2 and 3. First John 3. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. You got that hope in you? Do you know Christ is your Savior? Is he returning for you? Do you have that hope? You're going to see him as he is. And you know what? You're going to be as he is. You have a new body, a Christ-like body. What a hope we have as believers. We struggle with contentment. We struggle with it desperately. We don't have what someone else has. And we become discontented. We somehow feel we've missed out. 
that, that we've not <clears throat> been treated fairly even. But contentment is not a state of being. It's more a state of mind. On November the 4th, <clears throat> 2010, Eunice Sanborn became the world's oldest living person at that time. She celebrated her 114th birthday in July 20th, 2010 at her church, First Baptist in Jacksonville, Texas. Eunice said that she not only loves everything about her life, but she also has no complaints. If she had wanted to complain, let's face it, she'd have had many, many opportunities to accumulate those complaints throughout 114 years. But this lady demonstrated that complaining is a choice, and that so is contentment. You choose to be content or you choose to complain. I choose to be content or I choose to complain. Com recognizing need for change is not, is not necessarily complaining. Recognizing that, that something has to take place or happen in order to comply with Scripture or to better your home or your marriage, that, that's, not, that's not being critical necessarily. It's just wanting to be the best you can be. However, Paul the Apostle said, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned that whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Have you learned to be content? If you're struggling with it, welcome to humanity. But you ought to be striving for it. You may be struggling, but you ought to be striving for it. And that's something that we all need to be in a process of learning every day of our life, how to be content. Because when we walk out into this world of darkness and that has no hope, how will we have anything to offer them if we are discontented with the God who saved us and the God who provides for us? Do you realize that the early church was comprised primarily of slaves? The Apostle Paul is speaking and he's saying to all those that believe, many of them that were in slavery, and saying to them, not that I speak in respect of one, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. You need to be content. Learn to be content, he tells them. Wow. And here we are in America in 2023. And it's hard to find a content person. And there's none of us in slavery tonight. Most of us can go to the grocery store and buy a gallon of milk if we really have to have it, or a loaf of bread. But boy, we struggle with contentment. So be it. But let's make sure we consistently strive to find it by learning who he is, and by choosing to be content. It's a choice. It's a state of mind. 
And God help us to be content no matter what life throws at us, or more accurately, what God permits. See, your circumstances and your contentment are unrelated. They're not related. Contentment is not a state of being, but more a state of mind. Let's learn to be content like the Apostle Paul did in whatsoever state we are. It's a battle, but it's worth fighting. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for the service tonight, for just the simplicity of the Word of God. Again, Lord, we desperately need you. And Fathers, believers, we all struggle with this to some degree or another, more... Um, some more than others, but help us, Lord, to learn to be content. Help us to really grasp who you are and that, Lord, you do care and that you do what wants best for us and that being conformed to the image of your Son may cause us to have to walk through the fire a little. God of heaven, bless us and help us to learn to be content in whatsoever state we are, that the world may see it and fear and trust in the Lord. We love you. We desperately need you. And Lord, if there be any that are without Christ tonight, that have yet to receive and accept him, Lord, they need him tonight. There's nothing about paying for your sin that's pleasant. There's nothing about spending eternity separated from God in a place called the lake of fire that God nor anyone would want. I pray, Lord, that they would settle their soul salvation even tonight, that they would allow the Holy Spirit of God to bring conviction in their life and then submit to that wooing and receive and accept Christ before it's eternally too late. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all